they did absolutely nothing when it came to sexual harassment. Uh, they have always diminished the charges of women. Always. Consistently. And they're doing it again. To cheapen or ridicule the pain a woman suffers from a sexual attack uh, is disgusting. Sexist and disgusting. Uh, to second guess how a woman should have acted after a sexual attack is sexist and disgusting. Uh, I mean, it's just insensitive. You don't understand the pain. You don't understand how the system tortures a person who wants to come forward. Sexist and disgusting. You don't understand the pain. That was New York Governor Andrew Cuomo three short years ago, deriding Republicans for failing to take seriously the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh from his days in high school. But this week, the world learned that all the while, Cuomo himself was engaging in a pattern of sexual harassment that horrified some of the women who worked for him. In a scathing report, New York Attorney General Tish James concluded that Cuomo had violated federal and state laws by harassing as many as 11 women, including a member of his staff who was a sexual assault survivor, and a state trooper assigned to protect him. With everybody from the President of the United States to the leaders of the New York State Legislature calling for him to resign, can Cuomo possibly survive? Will he force the New York State Assembly to impeach him and put the state and the country through a trial in the state Senate? We'll talk to my former Yahoo News colleague, Hunter Walker, who has been covering the governor's troubles, and then we'll chat with Karen Hinton, who once worked as Cuomo's press secretary when he was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, and more than 20 years ago, had our own uncomfortable experience with him, all on this episode of Skullduggery. Hi. Do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. 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 I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. My co-hosts at Skullduggery, uh, Dan Clydman and um, Victoria Pacetti, are off on vacation this week. I am back. And we've got, as a uh, special guest host, the aforementioned Hunter Walker, now a reporter for The Uprising, a uh, Substack newsletter. Uh, Hunter, welcome back to Skullduggery. Hey, Mike, how are you? I am doing quite well, and what a dizzying week this has been uh, for anybody interested in New York state politics and the welfare of the governor of New York. I, I have to say, and I want to get your quick reaction to this, I mean... I once it became clear that the attorney general's office, Tish James, was taking these allegations seriously, had hired June Kim, the former acting U.S. attorney and longtime deputy to Preet Bharara, as in the uh, Southern District of New York, there was no way that Cuomo was going to get a pass in this report. But that said, I don't think any of us expected it was going to be as devastating 
as it was with new allegations against, uh, you know, brought by other women, including that state trooper. And, you know, it's just hard for me to see how he couldn't possibly survive at this point. Your quick reaction. Well, I think Cuomo has basically um, been going through the five stages of grief. You know, his first attempts to deal with this were denial and anger. I think he might have reached the the bargaining phase <laughs> because, uh, you know, he's definitely facing a real impeachment threat from the legislature. And one of the only moves I, I've even remotely heard of his allies suggest he could make is, you know, serving out his term next year. Um, rather than resigning immediately. But that, that so, that's not going to fly. I mean, <laughs> you know, the Speaker of the Assembly has said they're going to move. Uh, what's it? Carl Hasty? Hasty, um, yeah. Hasty, Carl Hasty has said um, they're going to move towards impeachment as expeditiously as possible after a meeting of the New York Assembly Democrats yesterday. So... I mean, what's the bargain that, you know, (laughs) where's the bargaining room here for him? He's got zero support in the legislature, zero support in the uh, in the New York state congressional delegation. And the president of the United States, Joe Biden, says he needs to resign. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only thing that he could look to with any degree of optimism at this moment would be like Ralph Northam in Virginia, you know, who survived you know, what people thought might have been an impeachable scandal. But like the magnitude of these charges um, and, you know, this investigation only deals with one set of allegations he's facing right now uh, in the personal realm. There's also ethical stuff. You know, it, it really is a lot. And as you pointed out, his support is totally fading. And last time around when this first came up, Hasty was seen as an ally uh, who might be slow walking impeachment. And now I don't think there's that much cover for him. And when this first came up earlier this year, no allies spoke up for him, but they slowly emerged over the next couple of weeks as people who stood by him. What I've heard from talking to folks in the legislature is that support for Cuomo was always a political calculation. This guy is not someone known for warm personal relationships. Um, And you know, now with Biden on down uh, coming at him with uh, how detailed this report is, you know, the smart political move is going against him. So there's really so no what's the left. what is the state of play in the legislature right now? Uh, I mean, they had that meeting yesterday, as I understand it. It's been reported. Nobody spoke up in defense of Cuomo. Hasty says they're going to move towards impeachment. How quickly do they move? Does this have to go through a committee process? Do they have hearings, testimony from these women just to impeach him? Or do they, I mean, how do you see the process playing out right now if he does not resign? So this assembly conference meeting that happened yesterday was essentially, uh, it was described to me as an emergency meeting to address these allegations. And from what sources have told me about the call, the conference, The question wasn't if Cuomo should be impeached, it was how. And there's sort of one, you know, vocal contingent that just wants to see immediate articles based on this report. There are others that are thinking about, you know, encompassing other scandals swirling around the governor, including his book deal and this nursing. But that could drag out the process, right? And that's the argument against it, is that it would essentially give Cuomo more airtime. So really, the question just seems to be how quickly they'll move towards it. 
I, I think, you know, we're going to see that within about a month. So this essentially sets up a game of kind of chicken with the governor. You know, does he want to deal with that or does he prefer to sort of step down and on some version of his own terms. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that the scenario is either the Nixon scenario, where the leaders of the legislature go to him and say, you got no choice, you got no support, you're going to be impeached, you have to resign, and then he resigns. Or, you know, the Bill Clinton scenario, where he says, you know, I'm going to stick it out, I'm going to push back. I'm going to hit back my critics, hit back the investigators, which, by the way, Cuomo tried to do in that interview, that 11-hour interview where um, uh, June Kim was questioning him. And Cuomo goes after Kim saying, you know, back when he was at the U.S. Attorney's Office working for Preet Bharara, they investigated Cuomo for corruption. They never brought charges against Cuomo himself. They did bring other charges. But I, I don't see that he's got a lot to work with here. Yeah, I mean, his default posture has always been to fight. Um, he's always had a tight inner circle, a kind of aggressive bunker-like mentality. Uh, clearly with the videos and reports that he prepared to go with this report that he knew was coming, his initial reaction was to kind of defiantly battle these allegations. You know, he's testing the political support for that. Um, <laughs> it doesn't look good. I hear that people in his inner circle are kind of looking at the report and trying to figure out who talked. I mean, that's the level of yeah. Well, the, those those here. eleven women talked for starters, and one of them, by the way, probably the creepiest. Well, there there are two contenders for the creepiest, but you know, one is the state trooper who yeah. was not publicly identified. She's trooper number one, and you know, those allegations are pretty startling, saying that starting in early November. 2017, so a year before he made those remarks about Republicans and <laughs> not taking Brett Kavanaugh seriously, she's assigned to protect him. He takes a shine to her, at, wants her put on his protective services unit, the unit of the New York State Police that is in charge of protecting the governor. He had met her at an event at the uh, uh, RFK Bridge, the you know the Triborough Bridge. <laughs> he meets her. He likes uh, he likes the way she looks. He asks her to be put on his protective services unit, even though. She didn't qualify for that. You had to be a state trooper for three years to get on it. They changed the rules, and one of the emails is, ha-ha, they changed, to her is, ha-ha, they changed the minimum from three years to two just for you. And then once he's she's on the, uh, the, the uh, protective services unit, Cuomo proceeds to sexually harassing, harass her, running a hand his hand across her stomach from her belly button to her right hip while she held a door open for him, running his finger down her back from the top of her neck down her spine to the middle of her back while she was standing in front of him in an elevator, kissing her on the cheek in front of another trooper and asking to kiss her on another occasion, which she deflected, making sexually su suggestive and gender-based comments, including asking her to help him find a girlfriend. I mean, you know, this is a state trooper, a law enforcement officer, and he was so brazen as to engage this way with somebody assigned to protect him? I mean, the allegations make me so uncomfortable to even hear. I mean, they're really horrible and gross. And we have to keep in mind, it's it's 
11 women saying this, you know, including people who'd worked with him, who'd clearly believed in him and been allies at at least one point. And, you know, I think he, he tried to come back to against that, you know, by posting these photos of him and family members, like kissing people on the cheek over the years and acting yeah. like that was the only problem. Um, and then saying and then saying yeah. that these allegations discredit the women who come forward with real sexual harassment allegations, as though none of these 11 women were making a real claim of sexual harassment, despite the findings of the New York Attorney General and despite the corroborating evidence that many of them had. This isn't like believe women. This is believe 11 women. You know, like the standard is pretty um, is pretty unique here. And I do think it's it's, you know, important not to lose sight of the fact that like the situations described are really they're awful. I mean, I I I feel, um, you know, it's it's a it's a sexual harassment scandal, the magnitude of which I, I can't really recall any anything else uh, happening before right. like this right right well we've got a great guest uh, to talk about it karen hinton who i've known for years as you'll learn in this discussion um i first uh, interviewed her about another political leaders sexual harassment allegations uh, more than 20 years ago she had her own experience with Andrew Cuomo when she was his press secretary back in the day he was a, a member of Bill Clinton's cabinet that might give you a little hint of the other sexual harassment allegations I was referring to and um, has a pretty good insight into the kind of culture he imposed on people working for him, uh, a big part of the AG's report. So let's get to it. We are now joined by Karen Hinton, a veteran communications consultant, once a press secretary to Andrew Cuomo back in his days when he was uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, Karen has uh, maintained her ties to uh, New York politics over the years and has had her own experiences with Andrew Cuomo. Karen, welcome to Skullduggery. Well, welcome for having me on your podcast. Thank you very much. So let me get such a devastating report uh, from the New York Attorney General yesterday. You were once, uh, as I mentioned, Cuomo's press secretary 20 years ago. Your reaction when you read the report? I was only shocked by the details of the report. I did not expect such details, and I did not expect new stories, not new stories, but new accusations by women, especially the state trooper. I mean, I just found that to be shocking and heartbreaking that that had to happen to this woman as she was doing her job with the governor of New York. But on the other hand, I wasn't that shocked or surprised because I've known him for 25 years and this is the way he's always behaved. And it's just been a pattern of sexual abuse, sexual harassment, intimidation, power and control over women in his workplace. And so 
that did not surprise me because it's what I've been used to. It's what I know about him. Now, you were interviewed by the New York Attorney General's uh, investigators for this because you had your own experience with Andrew Cuomo two decades ago that they thought was relevant. You're not mentioned in the report, presumably because, you know, this was focused on his conduct as governor of New York. But tell us what your experience was and what you told the AG's investigators. They were interested in the pattern issue. They wanted to know what I knew in the present. Had I knew, did I know anything about what he had done as governor, but also as housing secretary? So I talked about my incident, but I also talked about other women at the housing department and what had happened to them. And they were interested in that pattern. I believe they were interested because it only affirmed what the 11 women were saying now, that they could see this is something he had been doing for quite a long time. And um, I told them uh, a few other stories about women, and they seem to react positively to that. Tell, tell us about your own experience and what you relate about other women's experiences. Well, back in 2000, we were in Los Angeles to do a media event, and I was asked to help with that event. And so the evening after, he asked me to come up to his hotel room to talk about what had happened that day and what we would do the next day on generating media coverage. And so I agreed to do that. I went up and went into his room. And of course I'd been in hotel rooms with him before alone, but also with other people and nothing like this had ever happened. But I walked in and the lights were dimmed and I, I wondered about that and wondered why he was creating that kind of environment. But I came in and I sat down on the couch and we talked. We talked about the day. And then the topic turned to more personal matters, my marriage, his marriage. And I felt a bit uncomfortable going into that kind of detail. So I said, well, you know what? We got to get up early. I'm going to go back to my room. And he came over and embraced me. Um, it was not a hug, it was an embrace. And I felt it was too intimate and too long. I could tell he was aroused and I pushed back and he brought me back. And I said, look, I, I gotta go get some sleep. I'll see you tomorrow. I walked out, um, I went back to my room. I immediately called a girlfriend and said, I can't understand what happened. What do you think? And I'm, I'm shocked by this. And then, but he and I never talked about it again. And primarily for the same reason that the, some of the 11 women have said, I didn't want to lose my standing as a political consultant in Washington, DC. And I was afraid if I spoke about him, I would, he would use that against me and it would hurt me. I had, and as Mike is, Mike, you already know this, but I had already been quoted in your book, Uncovering Clinton, <laughs> about Clinton. I didn't get my job that I wanted as Assistant Secretary of Public Affairs 
because of the quotes in the book. And I thought, okay, he came after me about Bill Clinton. He's going to come after me about him. I, so, I should have uh, I should have uh, reminded our listeners or told our listeners about we had a prior history, you and I, because I did track you down back in 1994 when I was uh, looking into the sexual harassment allegations of Paula Jones, in which she alleged that a state trooper had come up to her, brought her up to the then governor's hotel room. Um, this is events in 1991, at which point he became sexually aggressive, uh, made unsolicited offers, dropped, according to her account, dropped his pants, uh, exposed himself, and asked for a blowjob. That was allegations corroborated by two women who spoke to Paula Jones that day, and I was... uh, I reached out to you because you had not nearly as graphic an experience, but an experience with Bill Clinton in which he asked you to come to his hotel room. Yes, that's right. And what I've learned over time since 1994 is that there is essentially another pandemic, and it's a pandemic of sexual harassment, which has gone on for that long and longer. And in my experience, Clinton to Cuomo. And I think so many politicians have found themselves in very similar situations. And to be frank, if there was another politician that was in the same kind of trouble as Andrew Cuomo is today, Andrew would call for him to resign. He would join the chorus and say resign. But yet here he is doing the same thing that Bill Clinton did. And, you know, he wants to stay the ground and he wants to stay in office. He calls the 11 women liars. He doesn't take them seriously. He dismisses them. And this is a standard playbook for a sexual, the sexual, uh, a man who's been sexually, uh, he's been accused of sexual harassment. This is a classic playbook of what they do. They blame the victim. They push back. Bill Clinton did the same thing and worse, and Andrew Cuomo is doing the same thing now. You know, Karen, it's 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 incredibly difficult to sit here, you know, and 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 listen to you have to recount these experiences. I, I I can't even imagine what it is like for you to have to share them. I mean, you know, to to have that experience of having your personal space violated. Uh, needing to fear, you know, professional repercussions and then, you know, needing to revisit that later and having it questioned. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I think it's important for us just to acknowledge that that must be incredibly painful and difficult. And I heard from a lot of women yesterday when the governor, you know, responded to this report initially with this approximately 15 minute video that he released online. And that video included this this montage of, of him and his family members hugging people, you know, making the argument that sort of he's always been sort of touchy with people and he never meant badly by it. But the part that a lot of women I know were struck by was when he addressed one of his accusers, Charlotte Bennett, directly by name. And, you know, he said to her, Charlotte, I want you to know Um, And a lot of people felt that was really aggressive, who I spoke to. A lot of women had a strong reaction to it. Um, I'm wondering if you saw that video, how you felt about it, and how you felt about that moment in particular. 
I think he and his lawyers believe that the charges that Charlotte Bennett brought against him are convincing. And so for him to apologize to her, but being very careful in the way he apologized was important to his positioning politically. I, I don't think legally, because I don't think Charlotte is, will bring any charges based on what she said so far. But I think it was important for him to address that because it was so meaningful to not only Charlotte, but to women and to the public at large was to really try to fix that. I don't think he did it successfully. She very quickly was interviewed on Good Morning America and CBS Evening News, where she basically said, no way, that doesn't count as an apology. I find that offensive the way he addressed me in his prepared video that I'm sure he negotiated with his lawyers as well as his PR people. So I didn't find it helpful. I didn't find it meaningful. I just found it offensive. But I'm sure Charlotte Bennett found it even more offensive and more painful. His line on her as he addressed her directly was kind of, you know, I'm sorry if you were offended, not, you know, which is the, no, the textbook PR non-apology apology. But I think a point you're alluding to that's really important as we try to figure out sort of what's next here, that was a prepared and produced video. His legal team also produced this, I believe, 85 page document. And, you know, we do know that last month on, I believe, the 17th, he was interviewed by the investigators uh, from the AG's office um, or from the independent team picked by the AG's office. And, you know, I think what we see with that as we try to analyze what's happening next, it's clear he knew this report was coming. And at least initially, his strategy was, you know, to stand, stay and fight. There's a lot of, I think, national speculation about, you know, whether Cuomo might resign. Karen, I'm sure you share this experience as kind of an old New York hand. What I'm hearing from everybody is, you know, Anyone who thinks he's going to go quietly does not know Andrew Cuomo. And that's certainly not what we've seen in that initial response so far. Exactly. And I've you know, been around him for a long time, and I know he will not give up. He will have to be carted out of the executive office because that's just who he is. That's the way he is. He always blames others for his problems. He never acknowledges his own mistakes. And he won't, he won't acknowledge his misbehavior, his, his sexual harassment, his sexual abuse. He will never acknowledge it as that. But he will always have some excuse. And Charlotte Bennett's, uh, his remark to Charlotte Bennett is a great example of that. Yeah, and, and I gotta say the gap between Cuomo's account that he was basically counseling her as a sexual assault survivor and what Charlotte Bennett said he actually said to her, asking whether she had been with older men, uh, saying that he was lonely and wanted to be touched, asking whether Charlotte Bennett was monogamous, talking about a tattoo on her butt. I mean, you know, that does not sound like 
talk one would provide if one was trying to counsel a woman who was recovering from sexual assault. But I guess the larger question, Karen, is, as you've laid out, this is conduct that goes way back in his career. How did he get away with this for so long, especially in recent years after the Me Too movement? He he has a inner circle. He's always had a very small inner circle that takes care of him. That was true at the housing department. It was true in the AG's office when he was attorney general. And it's true now. He doesn't have many friends. He's, he's not a big social person. He stays isolated himself with only people he trusts completely. And if they do anything that crosses him, they're out of the inner circle. And as a result, that strategy over years has proven to help him keep his positioning, even though he has a pattern of this kind of behavior because those people protect him. Those people help him out of those difficult situations. They stand up for him. They speak on his behalf. They go after the people who are criticizing him. They come up with, you mean, you've seen this happen even in with the 11 women. They did that 85 page report where they went after those women in different ways to position them as unbelievable or dismiss their their um, accounts of what happened. So this has been something he's always done and he uses his power position. Not He's used it with women in a very sexual way, flirting, sexual overtures, that's been his pattern, but he's also done it with men in a very aggressive way of threatening their jobs, threatening their livelihood, calling them idiots, calling them negative things in front of large groups of people. So he he pulls them back and they say, oh my gosh, what is he gonna do to me? I'm afraid. You, the, for the first time ever, Representative Kim, State Representative Kim, a man, he came out a few months ago and said that the governor called him and said, I will destroy you if you say anything about the nursing home deaths. And for the first time, a man stood up and said, this is what he said to me. And I can't remember anyone who's done that. And New York is full of men who will tell you they've been talked to that way. They've been threatened that way. Karen, when you worked for him back when he was a member of Bill Clinton's cabinet, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, did you experience that toxic culture that the AG talked about in her report? The abusive, it was extremely, as Bennett, this is Charlotte Bennett describing the culture, and she was an aide to Cuomo. It was extremely toxic, extremely abusive. If you got yelled at in front of everyone, it wasn't any special day. It was controlled largely by his temper, and he was surrounded by people who enabled his behavior. Yes. At HUD, there was a very toxic work environment. 
Everyone was fearful of him. You never knew what kind of temperament you got from one day to the next. Was he in a good mood or a bad mood? Was he going to scream at us? And look, all politicians, all bosses scream at you at some point. That's going to happen. Not all, but most. And, and, and you've worked for quite a few, we should point out. Right? Yes. But, but this was consistent. And people were just waiting to see what they were going to get when they entered a meeting. And I heard him scream at men and women, but mostly with women, it was flirting. He would flirt in order to bring them into the fold, to make them feel like they were needed, to make them feel like he wanted them, to make them feel like they could do whatever he asked them to do and to do it the way he wanted it done. So this was a regular thing at the housing department. And we all suffered the consequences. I mean, we all hoped that we wouldn't be found, that we would have done something wrong and we would be in trouble. And as a result, there would be consequences to that. We would be left out of meetings. We wouldn't be brought into the outer inner circle because you know there were certain meetings you were allowed into and you wouldn't make it if you had done something wrong or he didn't appreciate what you said about the strategy that he had already developed that was true for me on several on many occasions where I would contradict him and say I don't think we need to approach that press statement that, that way and if I he, if I didn't agree with him then he got somebody else to do it he would just give it to somebody else and so, okay, you do it. Karen won't do it. You do it. I think one thing that I'm, you know, hearing in, in your uh, recollections, Karen, is, you know, the country kind of became aware of Andrew Cuomo on the national stage uh, in conjunction with this pandemic when he was sort of this early COVID hero. But in New York, his reputation has been much more complicated. Cuomo's now had, after spending time in Washington, this near 15-year uninterrupted run in Albany. Um, he was the AG. He's now been governor for um, over a decade. And at this point, this is a man who has not had sort of a non-political job uh, for a very long time. Since breaking up with celebrity chef Sandra Lee, he has no other home but the governor's mansion. And in Albany, he's always been known as this guy who, you know, politically now, I'm not even talking about the, you know, the personal allegations, would use incredibly abusive and coercive measures, you know, to get what he wanted. I think, you know, in its own way, one of the most dramatic allegations among some of his Democratic critics is that, you know, he behind the scenes backed this independent conference that effectively prevented uh, the Democrats from having a Senate majority for a few years there. Um, mm -hmm. And they saw this as, you know, him not wanting, you know, him wanting to split up power in the legislature. So he didn't have a stronger enemy. He had people he could roll over more easily. This has kind of always been his reputation in New York. And I think in a way, what happened here is first off, we learned the vocabulary of Me Too, you know, for talking about things like you experienced. And I think that helped women come forward. But also when he did have this pandemic moment with the book deal, which by the way, is subject to its own you know, ethics investigations um, and potentially could come up in impeachment, he flew too close to the sun. 
And that burst of attention, I think, galvanized his critics. It gave people like Gustavo Rivera, a state senator, Ron Kim, Alessandro Biagi, another state senator, potential gubernatorial opponent. It gave these people a bigger megaphone. And that's part of why Ron came out. And that's part of why we then saw these women come forward and more and more join. Um, but, you know, I think there's been a little bit of a criticism that, oh, you know, reporters never said who Andrew Cuomo was. And it's like, no, this stuff, this stuff was an open secret for a long time. I mean, I think there was kind of this narrative congealing around this investigation that, you know, people never knew who Andrew Cuomo was. And in New York circles, we always did. And this is, in fact, how he was always seen. It's just kind of coming out to a new level. Absolutely. That's right. And I do think your point about the CNN nonstop press conferences that we had for weeks and weeks um, did have a lot to do with um, this whole enhancing his, in, in many ways, enhancing his ability to take care of, of a huge problem that New York, New York State was facing. And it was the first state to face it. And he did command a lot of attention as, as well as support as a result. But at the same time, when the nursing home deaths investigation and information began leaking out, then it took away a lot from that. And people had had, I believe, had had enough, had had enough of him, had enough of his threats, enough of his torturing them for years to end. And then on top of that comes the women who are brave enough and courageous enough enough to come out and talk about it. And I'm glad to see that they did it. I didn't do it for reasons that Michael Isikoff knows about, but I didn't do it. And I do, do I wish I had, God knows if I had, I would have, I would have had to leave Washington DC. I would have been dead on arrival. One can only imagine the uh, furious uh, attacks on you had you uh, come forward back then. It was bad enough as it yeah. was. So. Right. But also, let me just point out, one, this is not, we're, we're talking about two Democrats here, and it's not just Democrats, it's Republicans, too. All, you know, politicians on both parties. God knows what we went through with Trump and the other Republican politicians that have been discussed about sexual harassment. And then the line of, of New Yorkers, right? I mean, we had Rainer, we had Elliot Spitzer, we had um, Eric Snyderman. There is something in the, in the water what, in Albany, what I is think. in that, the water, uh, right? Clearly, Maybe yeah. it's what you refer to yeah. um, about the, the way politics works in New York. These men who just think they have unlimited power and control and influence over the people who are involved in their lives in some way, the women who are involved in their lives in some way. And, you know, I think it's really important that Karen brings up the nursing home scandal. Because uh, we should remember that within the past year, these 11 women came forward, but Cuomo also faced these questions about the money he made um, on the COVID book, whether he had staff on ethical. Well, well, how much? It. I didn't get like a multi-million dollar contract on that book. Yeah, uh, it was million. like five million, I think. Right? Five million dollars, you know, about his experience handling the uh, COVID uh, uh, pandemic, even while 
allegations were building that he mishandled it by sending people back into nursing homes. And the nursing home one is one that I think is actually most emblematic of, you know, Cuomo's sort of aggressive style and that that you know, thing Karen, Karen was alluding to of people kind of making it in New York and Albany by, you know, being that way. And I say that because, you know, the scandal in the nursing homes wasn't so much about how many people died in the nursing homes. You know, there were emergency orders, governments were trying everything, there was going to be death, you know, there was no, there was no great or known solution there. But New York's handling of it you know, a lot of people did die. The family couldn't get info about why their family members were being moved around. And then, and here's the part Cuomo actually got in trouble for, they tried to suppress the numbers and not admit these people died while he was selling the book. And and the cover-up was the crime. The cover-up was the ego thing. And I've actually spent time with some of the family members, uh, notably the Arbinis, who've been one of the more vocal. And I was literally sitting in the living room where this grandfather who, you know, had his name on the uh, painted on the door had died. And they were crying over him. And they basically admitted it's not so much that he died, but that Cuomo never said he was sorry. If mm-hmm. he had simply apologized to those families and not tried to hide the deaths, all political maneuvering, that wouldn't have been, you know, a problem the way it was. Right. No, that's exactly right. And uh, and let me just say this about the report. I think the report is very powerful, not just for New York, New York politics and New York women. It's powerful for women across the country because it empowers them to speak out about what's happened to them. And I know this, uh, you know, this sexual harassment, sexual abuse environment, I've witnessed since I was a teenager, as most women have, sexual harassment is pervasive. It's in women's lives. And so whether you work in politics or you work in a grocery store or you work for a law firm, a restaurant, a doctor, you experience sexual harassment of some sort on that sort of spectrum of from uh, bad to worse <laughs> uh, when it occurs. And so I think this report and the, and the statement that the attorney general makes is very powerful for other women too. And I believe that's very, very important and a step in the right direction. And it just furthers the Me Too movement and we need we need that to happen in this country. So, Karen, just to wrap up here, you've said that they'll have to drag Cuomo out of his <laughs> office. He's not going to resign. On the other hand, it looks like he has zero support in the New York State Legislature at the moment. Nobody in, is speaking up for him or defending him in any way. So it's kind of like, if you're right, he's going to force the state state assembly to impeach him and then go through a trial in the Senate. I'm just thinking of, you know, how much time and energy and oxygen that's going to suck up on not just in New York, but nationally. I mean, is he going to really force the country to go through this long, arduous process to remove him from office? Or will there come a time like there did for Richard Nixon during Watergate when Democratic leaders go up to him and say, you got no choice. If you don't resign, we're going to impeach you tomorrow. 
is he going to force the country to sit and watch this? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Big yes. He will not care. Wow. He will, he will I, sit it through. I'm not as stubborn and defiant as he is, and I take your you know insider knowledge of him seriously. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that when he's got no defenders and no support politically, and everybody from the president of the United States to the entire oh. New York congressional delegation to uh, his own legislature all calling for I, his removal. Be, but we will, yeah. I will be very happy if I'm wrong and you're right. <laughs> well, we will we will find out and we will have you back to see who's right and who's wrong. But Karen, I really want to appreciate. Thank you uh, for taking the time. We really appreciate having your comments and they are so on point at this moment in time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs>